How y'all doing? Good, good, good. Looking good, looking good. Uh, I want to welcome our online viewers. Welcome. So glad that you are here and with us and dialing in with us on this sermon series called Rebuild. Thankful that you guys are here tonight. Um, I want to welcome all of you all. Um, the story is told of a boy who lives in a neighborhood and had a mom and dad and was growing up and the parents got divorced and this young boy, some 13 years of age, starts to wander away, starts to get into some um, wrong stuff, some immoral stuff, starts hanging with the wrong crowd. And this neighbor, she's an older woman, she sees this young boy that was young and vibrant and, and, and loves school and reading, starts to veer off on the wrong tr track and so she starts talking to the other neighbors and she begins to develop a, 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 a meeting of the minds on how we as a neighborhood can rally around this young boy. And so they create this, this weekly gathering where he's sitting with neighbors and they're sparking his interest and talking about things that he's interested in. This, this neighborhood, this street rally around this young boy. Another story I've told of a husband who is having challenges in his marriage and he has these fallout fights with his wife, not just a slight disagreement. Something sparks in their marriage and it's this fallout, it's this, this, this fighting without any reservations that happens with his wife over and over again. And, and, and one day he finally says that something needs to change. And he says, baby, me and you are going to counseling. We're going to get some help. Another story is told of a young man who hears a sermon at a church about prayer. He's convicted about prayer and he wants to, to, to develop this life of prayer. And he says, I don't want to just do it when I'm home. I want to pray all the time. And so he gets to his job and he starts praying on his job and someone sees him. It's a coworker and he's a Christian as well. And so these two say, you know, we're going to pray together. We're going to meet at a certain time and pray together. Well, long story short, that group grows from two to 50 to 1,000 to 20,000 people who commit to pray at a certain time every day in various fields of employment. What do you need to rebuild? I've been asking you to think about that question. I, I don't know if God's going to call you to invest in some young boy's life. I don't know if you're going to be the first, year married, your first person in your family not to take the route of divorce. I don't know if he's going to call you to, to marry work in ministry. I don't, I don't know what the calling is, but I pray by week three, you got a picture. Because I believe God's calling us to rebuild some things. I believe God's calling us to rebuild our faith, rebuild our trust in him. I believe God's calling us into areas of mission and ministry. I believe God's calling us to see ourselves different. I believe he's calling us to restructure, rebuild some things with parents. Maybe our parents are getting old and we have bad relationships. Maybe God's calling you to rebuild some things or relationship with your children or relationship with your job or starting this own business or your own business, this 501c3. I don't know what God's called you to rebuild, but I believe it's something of substance that we need to be working towards it. So I don't know about you, but I've been doing 
Nehemiah, uh, this book, um, and we're going to continue Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 20, we'll look at tonight. What time is it? Let's get it. Nehemiah 2, 11 through 20. Nehemiah 2, 11 through 20 says this. I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few others. I have not told anyone what my God has put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There are no mounts with me. That word mounts there is a donkey or a horse. There are no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards Jekyll Well and the Dung Gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved towards the fountain gate of the king's pool. But there was not enough room for me in, for room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone and, was, and what I was doing because I had not said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruin and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So be, they began this good work. But when Samballot, the Horonite, to, to, Tobiah, the Amorite, uh, officials in Geshen, the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us, saying, what is this that you're doing? They asked, you're rebelling against the king. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. I want to talk to you about being a visionary tonight, this morning, whatever time you're watching this. is. <laughs> um, somebody say visionary. And I got three points for you. Vision carrier, vision caster, and slick talkers. Vision carriers, vision casters, and slick talkers. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Thank you that we can come. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Give us this truth that you want us to know that our lives will be changed thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been walking this week, or just over the past three weeks, talking about Nehemiah. He is a cupbearer who uh, has a heart for walls that have been broken down because that's his people, that's his city. He gets the news that these walls have been broken down, and he starts by fasting and praying. And in his fasting and praying, God gives him a burden. The first week we talked about this burden that God's given us to do something. Somebody say, do something. So he has this burden to, to rebuild the walls. He starts with prayer and he's repenting of his personal sins and he's repenting of the sins of a nation. And after he leads out in repentance, he begins to go to the king. And we talked about that last week in, in the sermon conversation where he's having these, this conversation uh, with his king so he can get leave, but not only get leave to go back and build the wall, but to get the finances and the resource and the protection to do it. This week, we want to talk about being a visionary. And the first point is vision carrier. What does that mean? The vision carrier is the person 
who holds the vision within them. Now, eventually, the vision can't just stay within you or that vision will die. The vision that you carry has to be developed and then has to be deployed. Vision carrier. And Nehemiah is going to help us learn how to be a vision carrier and have wisdom in how we handle the vision, but then also how to be a vision caster and then finally sleep talkers. Let's start with vision carrier. Nehemiah is traveling to Jerusalem. He's taking some 850 miles to get to Jerusalem. Uh, it probably takes him some, somewhere upward of 30 days to travel. And he's excited. Wouldn't you be if your boss just said, you're going to do whatever God's put on your heart. We're going to pay for it. And don't worry about nothing. I would be excited. And he's there and he's traveling. He gets to the city. And if I'm Nehemiah, if I'm Nehemiah, and this is a part of my own default as a, as a, as a, as a leader, I want to get started and I want to get started now. I want to get started now. I'm like, where is the closest Home Depot? Somebody get me a U-Haul pickup truck. Let me get materials. Let me put this on social media. Let me get this out there. I love what the first verse teaches us. And the first verse says, when Nehemiah got there, he didn't do anything for three days. Now, this is, this is powerful because one of the things he's going to teach us about being a person that's carrying a vision is if you don't include rest, you won't last in carrying out your vision. Now, if you're like me, visionaries, workers, uh, we like to get after it. When it's something we love, like I love ministry. I love it. I can do it all day long. It don't bother me none. I love what I do. And when you love what you do, you can have this unending, this seemingly unending energy to do it and accomplish the mission. But Nehemiah teaches us something that if we don't plan to rest, we're not going to finish. Nehemiah teaches us that we don't have to be a recovering restless person or restless person where we're just so focused on going to get it. And this is what our culture teaches us, don't they? You got to go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Go make it happen. Go make it happen. No sleep for the faithful. If you don't make it happen, it's not going to get done. Go, 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 go. And to that, not just Nehemiah, but God the Father will teach us that instituted in your work is rest. And part of the reason we can accomplish our, our vision past three months is because we have instituted no rest. We have no recharge. We have no, no solitude. So along with us going after our vision, we have to be people that are resting because when we rest, we demonstrate our trust. The Bible calls this the Sabbath. It is this principle that one out of seven days you are going to cease. The word Sabbath means to cease. You're going to stop your work and rest. One of the things COVID-19 has done for me personally, it has thrown off my Sabbath rhythm. And, and out of conviction to some of the things God's called me to, I've, I've returned to honoring and keeping that Sabbath. If you don't have a day to recharge and your mind never stops from whatever it is, you're not getting quality work done just because you keep working. 
Tony Swartz in his New York Times article says it this way, modern research indicates how a proper balance of work and rest increases one's productivity. Jesus says it and God says it another way, Sabbath. When we are fatigued, our judgment suffers, our creativity diminishes, our efficiency and effectiveness decreases. We gotta rest. And I know some of us don't come from a culture of resting. I know resting for some of us is like cursing. And we just grind and grind and grind. And we got this image that we're going after. And we just gotta get there. We gotta save this much money. And we gotta do this by 40 and that by 35 and that by 30 and that by 25. And oh my goodness, if we don't get there. And God says, before you do anything, come away a while. This is what Jesus demonstrated where oftentimes he would set out and go away and spend time with the Father. Y'all, we got to rest. The second thing about being a vision carrier, once we institute the proper boundaries and rest, is we got to be a people of inspection. I love what he says in verse 12. He says, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my, my heart to do for Jerusalem. And there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. He begins with inspection. Somebody say inspection. I like what T.J. Bet says about this. Wisdom is knowing the right thing, doing the right thing doing it at the right time, in the right way, to the right extent. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you get overwhelmed. So wisdom is knowing the right thing. Some of us are saying, God, what's the right thing? <laughs> what should I be doing? But not just knowing it, but then doing it, and then doing it at the right time, in the right way, to the right extent. Somebody say we need wisdom. This is why your prayer life matters. This is why community matters. This is why our, 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 us coming before God matters because we need wisdom. You don't know what you don't know. And if you rebuild in a way that's not wise, you're like that dad that's trying to finish his wife's to-do list but doing it his way. Don't worry, sweetie. I know how to do that. No, you don't. Okay, I'm preaching about myself. I might as well snitch. Let me snitch all the way. Um, there's this hole in my wall, and, and I, I'm fixed. I had a valve fixed, but the guy chipped some of the stucco in my wall, and so I had two choices. I could pay a guy $100 to come out and stucco my wall, or, Rodney, you can do this, or YouTube. That's what I did, and I'm watching it on YouTube. And so I, I get this stuff, and following the instructions, but somehow my hand don't do what his hand do. And then the rain come, and rain is not in the YouTube video. There was no rain in his YouTube video. And now I'm, I'm, I'm have to go back and look at it and go back and forth and figure out how to get it done, or I'm gonna pick up my phone, and we're gonna make it happen with $100 in Jesus' name. Rodney, what's, what are you saying? Wisdom is the principal thing. And we need to be people that seek God's wisdom. We're gonna learn three ways that Nehemiah helps us seek God's wisdom. Number one, our text tells us Nehemiah is prepared. We know this from last week. Before he shows up to Jerusalem, he has all of the resources with him. He shows up 
with access to resources. In other words, he's prepared. He's not showing up saying, well, you know, I'm here. Um, and I was kind of hoping that, you know, you would work with me or hoping that we can, you know, um, can a brother get a hookup? Can I, you know, can I get a $5 discount? You know, you know, we good, we family and everything, you know, look out for, no, he's not doing that. And in your vision, if you shortcut it, and you try to rig it and just throw it together, you're not gonna get the result you want. So number one, he is prepared. Number two, he lets his vision develop within him. The Bible says he has this vision and he does not tell anyone. Some of us have to tell everyone everything. And by the time you are forming your vision, you're being talked out of it by somebody that should have never spoke into your vision, but because you can't hold no water. You gotta be seen a certain way by other people. He lets this, this vision form within him. In other words, this is not for public consumption. I know we live in the age of transparency and I gotta speak my own truth and you know, I gotta be honest and I gotta tell everybody everything. No, that's not what Nehemiah helps us to see. Some things need to be fully formed in you before anybody knows anything. Well, don't misunderstand me. Maybe there are mentors, there are trusted people that you are sharing this information with, people that have gone before you. Maybe there's a trusted friend, a confidant that you can share that information with. But you got to get that vision developed within you. You got to own it. You can't sell what you don't own. You can't invite people into stuff that you don't have ownership of. So Nehemiah helps us with that. Next, he, he goes out in the quiet of a night. He, do, he does this at night, not in a day where everyone can see. He's very discreet. He's going out at night with a few people. He's not by himself. He's in community. And he goes out at night, and he's just looking at the project. He's seeing how broken down things are. He's seeing how hard this is gonna be to rebuild. And let's just be honest, I said this last week, rebuilding is hard. And part of the reason you, you, you build that vision within yourself is because you need to answer the call in yourself. Rodney, are you still gonna do this? When you do the inspection work, you see how the walls have been torn down and you see all of the devastation. You see rubble upon rubble upon rubble. Right there, are you still going to do this? And maybe that's where some of us are today. We're thinking, man, is, is this, am I still up for this? Is this still something that God's calling me to? Do I have the energy to do it? Do I have the time to do it? God, give us wisdom. And then the Bible says he mounts this, this donkey or this, this horse, and he's riding on this donkey to do this inspection. Now, this took out to me for a couple of things. Number one, whenever someone would mount a donkey or a horse, it was him signifying that he is the leader of the other people around him. So get this picture, Nehemiah's on this donkey, and, and the other men that are with him are walking as he goes to inspect it. And so custom tells us that person that's on that donkey, he's the leader. And man, something that I was thinking about as I was looking at that, 
And I wanted to ask you this question. Are you okay with being seen as the leader of what you're rebuilding? Or are you more consumed with blending in with everyone else? And this is a real struggle for, for some of us. We'll say stuff, well, I don't want nobody thinking I'm more than I am. No, get on the donkey. Well, you know, I'm equal with everybody. Not if you're the leader, get on the donkey. And this culture kind of pushes against that, pushes against anyone that is bold enough to get on the donkey. But it's not just him, him being bold or arrogant. He's being humble and bold at the same time. And for what God's calling some of us for, maybe not all of us to, but what God's calling some of us to is being bold enough to, be, to, to say, I'm the leader. To be bold enough to say, this is what God has called me to do. To be bold enough to say, God's wired me and called me into this aspect of whatever it is. We got to be bold enough to get on the donkey. Because it's so, much comfortable, it's so much more comfortable hanging out with the guys that are walking, hanging out with the girls that are walking. When I get on this donkey, I'm, I'm also able to see further than other people because I'm positioned higher. Never be jealous of the leader. With great leadership comes great responsibility. And the leader is able to see further than, than the people that are walking. And that's important. Because, and it's not just privilege. When you're able to see further, it also means you now have more insight into everything that's going on. And what Nehemiah is seeing is not pretty. But because he's the carrier of the vision, he needs to be able to say yes in his own self before he calls anybody else to say yes with him. Let's look at point two, vision caster. He's carrying this vision. He's being wise. He's resting. He's, he's inspecting. He's doing his due diligence. He's making sure he's prepared. And now in verse 17, he's getting ready to become a vision caster. Verse 17 says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, Jerusalem lies in ruin and his gates have been burnt down with fire. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Get the picture. Nehemiah has done his due diligence. He's raised his capital. He has a good balance of work and rest. He's looked at the devastation. He's still convinced in his own heart that, number one, God's called him to do this and he's committed to this work. Now he's ready to cast a vision. And listen, we all must be vision casters. All of us. Even if it's you casting a vision to one other person, whatever you're doing, whatever you're rebuilding, maybe it's you're casting a vision to the one person that you want them to hold, the, to hold you accountable about that vision or whatever it is. Maybe you're casting a vision to a spouse or to children or family or to work. Maybe you need to cast a vision so you can have a partner to do this, this endeavor with. Whatever it is, we all need to be vision casters. So what are you rebuilding? And what do you need to cast a vision for? Now I know uh, 2020 in particular has thrown a wrench into everything vision. Uh, I know in the back of your closet, you have that vision board you did in January and you haven't looked at that vision board since February or March of this year because 2020 has just thrown a wrench in all of that. But my encouragement to you is don't lose 
vision in a pandemic. Don't lose vision in a political season. Don't lose vision when things are, are you, you're having trouble in your, in, in, in your life, in your relationship, in your health. Don't lose vision because we don't serve a visionless God. We serve a God of vision, so we need to be people of vision. So whatever the next step is, regardless of what you've been through, regardless of the challenge, you need to, ha- you need to be a person that still holds and carries and is able to cast vision. Man, today we had uh, one of those long, drawn-out elder meetings, some three and a half hours from 7.30 to after 11 o'clock. And thank God for the elders of this church. We're sitting and saying, asking this question, okay, where are we and where do we need to go? We can't lose vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Got to be people of vision. Okay. So how does Nehemiah cast his vision? Good question, good question, good question, good question. Nehemiah says, hey, y'all, we in some bad shape. I love this. It's so simple. He wants all of us to learn it. How do you cast a vision? Start with the problem. Hey, this sucks, doesn't it? You have no, I mean, look at it. I mean, don't, don't be blind. Look around. This is, this is horrible. The first thing he does in casting a vision, and this is helpful, he defines reality. I love what Max Dupree says about this. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. And in between, the leader's a servant. You got to define reality. Where is your marriage? Where is your health? Where is your walk with God? I was talking to a brother and I asked him, how's your prayer life? He said, Rodney, can I be honest? I said, yes. He said, it's non-existent. At least he's honest. He's not saying, well, I pray on my way to work. No, come on, man. It's not where I want to be. I got to start in truth. If I don't start in truth, everything I build is based on a lie. I got to be honest. Where are you in your walk with Jesus? Where are you in this vision that he's giving you? How are you going to impact the people in your community? You got to be honest. We're not where we need to be, and it's probably worst. Look what Nehemiah says. Verse 17, he says this. You see the trouble we're in? What he's doing is he's helping people to see the why of the rebuild. Footnote. What is the why of your rebuild? Why are you rebuilding? Man, you'll be surprised at the people that are doing stuff and have no idea why they're doing it. They do it because they've always done it. They do it because people told them to do it. Somebody told you you were good at it, you didn't stop. You don't know what your why is. And when you don't know what your why is, when it get hard, you stop. I was talking to some pastors about race in the church and they were saying as a black man, Rodney, how is, is, is it hard for you to navigate terrain like this as a black pastor? And I said, man, listen, dude, I'm not for diversity because it's cool. It ain't cool to be for diversity in 2020, I'm sorry. Maybe in 2018, 2017, maybe in 2020, diversity is not cool. So I'm not chasing church diversity because it's cool. I'm, I'm for diversity because what I see in Ephesians 2, 
in Revelation chapter 7. You see, my why is biblical. So I'll go through bumps and bruises and hardships and dealing with folks on all kind of uh, uh, aisles, right? I'll deal with all that. Why? Because I'm convinced it's what God wants. What is your why for what you will rebuild? Got to know that. And so what he does is he gives people their why. Secondly, what he does is he invites them into it. You know, some of us will say this, man, you know, I want to do this, but nobody will help me. Or I plan this event, but nobody shows up. Nobody's there for me when I need them. I don't have any help. I, I mean, I, I, I want to do this, but who will help me do this? And then you peel back and you ask them, so how many people have you asked? Well, I just put it on Facebook and thought people would show up. But who did you ask? I didn't really ask anybody. You can't blame people for not joining your vision if you won't ask them to join. Who did you invite? He says to these people, listen, it's tragic. It's horrible. Here's the invitation. Let us rebuild together. Some of us, we're trying to rebuild alone and it's too heavy for us. You need a partner in this rebuilding project. Let's build together. Some examples of that would be, hey, man, are you willing to help me um, develop the skill of understanding God's word? Man, I got this dream of, of owning this business. Would you, would you be my mentor in this new venture? Man, I'm struggling with this sin that I can't seem to break. Would you be a person that would ask me about that and hold me accountable? You need people. And you need to ask them to help you. Finally, Nehemiah cast his vision by one, defining reality, two, inviting others, and three, he tells them who's backing his plan. In other words, Nehemiah wants them to know we're not in this fight alone. Listen to what he says. Nehemiah tells them that the gracious hand of the Lord is upon me. Nehemiah recognizes he is not the goat, but it's the Lord that has been gracious towards him. Nehemiah is not bragging in his own skill, in his own ability. He knows it is the sovereign hand of God that has guided him to this point. So he's not boasting on himself. He's boasting in Jesus. And then he tells him, finally, what the king has said about him. He tells him about how the king has, has believed in him and resourced him and sent him here. Well, there's some good news for us tonight. Because this Persian king that has supported Nehemiah is only pointing us to another king. This king, King Jesus, doesn't just send us on a mission to rebuild, but he comes himself to do for us what we can't fix. There are walls of sin that have left us ravaged and exposed and addicted and hindered. And Jesus comes to rebuild the walls of righteousness in our lives. You see, Jesus does not just sit on a throne like this Persian king, but he's the true and better king that is the cupbearer for us not needing one. You see, in the garden, 
in Matthew 26, verse 39, it says this, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is that cup that Jesus wants pass? It is the cup of God's wrath on sin. You see, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, so he drinks the cup before the king. Jesus switches it. Jesus drinks the cup before it comes to us. Jesus is the true and better cupbearer. So what we have in him is someone who drinks the full, painful, violent wrath of God for us and on our behalf. And because of that, we've been free to go out and to rebuild to go out and to be salt and light, to go out and to share good news about what this king has done for us. Thirdly and lastly, slick talkers. I just remember being a kid and saying this about 75 times. Yo, you trying to be slick? It's this idea of you talking out of pocket. You, you, uh, you, 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 you're trying to throw salt into what I'm doing. And in every rebuilding project, I don't know who your slick talker will be. Maybe you need to get a picture of them in your head right now. Who's your slick talker? That sounds like a good commercial. Find your slick talker. Who is that? I don't know who your slick talker is. For Nehemiah, it's Sam Ballot. It's Tobiah. It's others. It's people that's going to hate on what he's doing you're going to see them really pick up in chapter 4 how they just insult him time and time again. Step on his, his project while it's early and it's in his infancy stage. Be careful who you let speak into you in your infancy stage of dreaming and casting vision. But I love Nehemiah's response in verse 20. I answer them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. I love that. It's already settled, dude. In the end, we win, period. You don't have to have this big, awesome vision. Your vision could be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the man. I'm going to be a man of integrity. That's what I'm going to be known for. I'm just going to show up when I'm supposed to show up. I'm going to let my word be my bond, and I'm going to be a faithful servant to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be this woman of God who walks in integrity, who, who, who demonstrates her beauty, not just in what she wears, but it emanates out of her character. And that's a vision for what I see God's calling me into. And maybe I'm going to be calling other women into that vision, but it doesn't have to be this grandiose type thing. It could just be, God, I want to honor you with my life. I want to do what you've called me to do. And in that, you're going to have some slit. She thinks she all that. Your slit talkers will be there. Bro, it don't take all that. Your slick talkers will be there. But you got to be convincing your own self, the God of heaven will give us success. And then I love what he says in closing. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. In other words, what you're saying ain't going to stop me. It's going to happen. But as for you, he talks back to him, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historical right to it. Here's what Nehemiah does. He doesn't allow his slit talkers to be in his circle as he's making decisions. Here's a word. Some of us need to get some distance between us and them slit talkers.
because they're hindering vision. Now, if you're married to them, you can't just say, I need distance. Too much, no. That's a whole nother discussion. Read Matthew 5 for homework. Anyway, um, but it's important, isn't it? Here's why Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not even about the person. It's not about the person. It's about how that person is being used by the enemy to hinder the work of God in your life. And so we don't fight people. We fight in prayer. We fight in prayer.